If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. We continue our series of entitled The Unveiling as we journey through the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 8. <clears throat> the place was Enfield, Connecticut. The year was 1741, the beginning of the Great Awakening. The preacher that night was a guest preacher. He had traveled by horseback <clears throat> or buggy <clears throat> 30 miles down from Northampton, Connecticut, where he lived. Excuse me, Northampton, Massachusetts, where he lived. Because he was not scheduled, he didn't come prepared to preach. And once the preacher had suggested, he just went to the saddlebags, either in his, on his horse or in his buggy, and grabbed the notes from a pr- previous message that he had preached back home that it had little impact. Which is the reason that as he preached this night, that he basically read his message. He had had no time to really prepare. His name was Jonathan Edwards. The message was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. His text was Deuteronomy 30, uh, 32, 35. He just took one phrase out of that, their foot shall slide in due time. I think it will serve you well to know what that entire verse says. I'll put it on the screen for you. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things that shall come upon them make haste. It's obvious to me as I think about it that 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 congregation that night as, as... Jonathan Edwards preached this, that they were familiar with this text in Deuteronomy. They were familiar with the setting because the impact was so strong. Jonathan Edwards carried a tremendous burden for the spiritual welfare of the country. He was one of the leaders in the First Great Awakening. He was concerned that so many people thought they were going to heaven so easily and they could live just like they wanted to. As a result of that message that evening, it's reported that some 500 people came to salvation. Not just in that service, there probably weren't 500 people there, but as a result of that service, some 500 people uh, were saved. The truth is, is that that night, the reality, the realization of the judgment of God became real. It was no longer just a Bible story or a good sermon or or a fairy tale. Now they could see it. Now they could feel it. Now they could touch it. Now they could sense it. So they responded to it. When I read the revelation, the unveiling of our Lord, it literally takes my breath away. And in fact, today, that's what I have entitled this message. It'll take your breath away. God has proven over time, 
since creation, he has proven his love, his care, his grace, his graciousness, his seemingly undying patience. He has proved that so much that for many, maybe many in this room, that the reality of the severity of his judgment is almost unthinkable. But I want to remind us as we begin this morning, as deeply as he loves mankind, just as deeply, he hates the sin that mankind brought into the world. And it's this sin that Jesus had to come and suffer and die for. And God has made it clear to you and to me through his word that he will ultimately punish sin. He will punish those who reject his offer of grace. He will punish those who do not follow his son. And that's what we're reading about today in the Revelation. Let's, if you will, if you can, let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Revelation Chapter 13, 13 verses, excuse me, Revelation 8, only 13 verses, and the message is powerful. Listen, follow along, for this is indeed God's holy word. When he opened, that is, when the Lamb, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner and he filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and hell and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet in a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood and a third of the water became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. I looked and heard an eagle flying overhead, crying out in a loud voice, 
Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that today that you will interject yourself right here in this service. I pray that you'll remove me from the equation. And I pray that we will hear your words today because your words are the ones that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the last weeks, we have been, um, I have been suggested that in our mind's eye, we need to view Revelation as we watch God's unfolding judgment like on a split screen TV or a picture in picture TV. And, and, and on the small picture, you've got a, the scene in heaven where it's calm, where things are happening, but it's calm. And on the big screen, you see the earth and you see the chaos. I don't know if you've been visualizing this with me, but I dare say that if you have been, and you see the chaos on the big screen, the judgment that's happening, back at the end of chapter 7 last week, when it said, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, I dare say if you're seeing that on the screen, you're grabbing your tissue because the judgment of God is so... Millions have disappeared. Chaos is the order of day. Every time a seal is broken, God's judgment gets a little bit worse. Two billion people now lay dead. Food is in short supply. And when the sixth seal was opened, the whole universe went into convulsions. God's judgment is always just and right and righteous. But it is not easy to witness. There's only one seal left. For those who haven't been here, Jesus, the Lamb, took a seal. It was the owner's document of earth. and He took the scroll, the owner's document of earth, and it was sealed six times, seven times as it was wrapped. And now, as we get to chapter 8, six of those seals are hanging loose because he's, he has snapped six of them. And now, as we get into this place, we know that all the throne room had witnessed and the earth had experienced the judgment to this point. And as we look at that scroll being open, it's palpable, the anticipation with all the judgment that's fallen, what in the world could be next as he snaps the seventh seal? The first thing that I'll just point out to you, and you can write it down in your bulletin, is the calm before the storm. He snaps the seventh seal, and it's almost like an audible gasp. For a half an hour, there is silence. Have you ever thought about why there's silence in heaven? I used to make jokes about it, but my wife will have to tell you later about why I thought there was silence in heaven. But in seriousness, the seal snaps and things go silent. I believe it's just my personal take 
is that there's been so much judgment, so much chaos, and the owner's deed was not completely open. What would it be like when that seventh seal was opened and God's full wrath? Remember, seven is a number of completion, perfection, fullness, and and God's full wrath is poured out. What in the world would it be like? Could it be a fulfillment of these words found in Habakkuk chapter 2? The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Now I just want to pause here and say, this probably needs a little explaining. Back in the day, when I was a music director, we used to sing that as a call to worship. In fact, the 56 hymnal version of the hymnal had two settings of this text listed as a call to worship. The problem is, from a biblical standpoint, it has nothing to do with corporate worship. It has to do with the judgment of God. and He's sitting in His temple, executing judgment. And you better be quiet before Him. God's eyes of fire, God's eyes of judgment are looking across creation to see who is worthy. The silence tells us that something already big has happened. The seal, the seventh seal has snapped. The silence tells us that they're expecting something bigger to happen. It literally took their breath away. Silence. I see Todd back there running EMS. We have other medical people here. How many times have I driven up to an accident on scene and somebody been hurt very bad or somebody has lost their life? You know what sounds you hear in those times? Silence. Oh, maybe from the EMS workers you hear some talking, but, but the onlookers, silence. What could happen next? You see, the heavens are watching God's judgment begin to fall, and they have no words. For 30 minutes, almost total stillness and silence. And then a little motion begins. Then the angels, those seven angels before the throne, stand up. And they're given trumpets. They're given an assignment. And then another angel rises. You can see the motion just beginning. He's given a censer to hold the incense and offer it up to the one on the throne. The prayers are of the of the of the saints or that incense. And they're praying, Lord, how long until? And their prayers, along with the offering, goes up before the one on the throne who then ignites a fire on the altar. And that angel with the the censer scoops some of that fire out. Remember, it's still silent. Scoops some of that fire out. And hurls it toward earth. 
And all of a sudden, it's like a storm coming from the guff, a storm away. You begin to hear thunders. You begin to hear rumblings. You begin to see flashes of lightning. And then the earthquakes. You know what this is telling us? God has run out of patience with sin. God has run out of patience with the rebellious. And he's about to execute judgment. The silence is the calm before the storm. The second thing I would point out to us this morning is the calamity from the sovereign. Now, you might not like the word calamity. That's fine. You can use disaster. You can use catastrophe. You can use even tragedy, judgment. Here's the deal, is that these angels are getting ready to blow their horn. In those days, the trumpet was used for a lot of communication. We know it from today. It's reveille, taps, uh, assembly, charge, retreat. All these, back then they knew all of the sounds of the trumpet. If I had time, we'd talk about an uncertain sound, which the church may be sounding today. But now, these seven angels are preparing to blow. That's what verse 6 says. And the first trumpet sound, it pierces the night, pierces the silence. Verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet. Watch what happened. Hell and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. How bad was it? A third of the earth. A third of the trees. And all the grass was burned up. You want, to know, you want to know what it's going to look like with all the grass burned up? Visit Arizona or New Mexico. You don't see green grass. A third is gone. Then in rapid succession... By the way... The sixth, seal, the sixth seal, we'll get back to that in a second, did much to destroy and damage the earth. The planet is almost uninhabitable. And then the second, sound, second trumpet sounds in rapid order. The second angel blew his trumpet. And something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea so that a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships, if I may, on the sea were destroyed. Some think this is a meteor. But when I read this, it appears to me like it's a volcano. Remember, God created everything. And now he's executing judgment on the earth. So he can cause those tectonic plates to shift. And he can use anything that he wants. And now a third of the of the sea is blood. A third of the sea animals are dead. A third of the ships are destroyed. Then the third trumpet sounds. The third trumpet blew his, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the heavens. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, so that Many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. A third of the rivers are polluted at their springs. You know what that means? 
That means if you drink out of Ten Mile Creek or you drink out of your well, that means your well and the river will become poisonous. You see, we don't, we don't recognize this term wormwood. But the Jewish people did. The first recipients of this letter. The wormwood was a plant that was both bitter and poisonous. So the water gets bitter. It gets poisonous if you drink it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. In the case of severe hydration, people will drink anything they can get their hands on. Because the body craves it. The waters are undrinkable. The water kills many people. Are you getting this? A lot of people are dying. And then the fourth trumpet sounds. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. Whoa! A third of the sun was struck? If you're reading along with me in in your copy of God's Word, just turn back a page to chapter 6, verse 12. Look at what's already happened. Then I saw him open the sixth seal, and a violent earthquake occurred, and the sun was turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars fell to the earth as a fig tree, and the sky was split apart. And so now the trumpet sounds, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day was without light, and a third of the night. You see, folks, all creation is, is falling apart. Are you getting the picture of what's going on on earth? It's not going to be a place where you want to be. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, unless the days are cut short, no one would be saved or no one would survive. Now, before I walk away from this, I want to tell you not to walk away from this Bible message with a skewed view of God. If you've not listened to anything else, please hear this. What we are witnessing in the revelation is the Jehovah God who has made every effort to reach mankind, given mankind every opportunity to respond to his son and the grace and the love and the mercy found in him. And those who of their own volition, of their own decision, have rebelled against that love, have rejected his grace and walked away. Again, as much as God loves us, he hates sin and he will judge the rejecter and the rebellious. If you haven't chosen to follow him, you have rebelled. Oh, Brother Jerry, I never rebelled. He has opened his hand. He has opened his heart. He has given his own son so that you can find eternal life and find forgiveness and hope and help. And here we see it coming to a close. As I read this, the next thing that I would just offer to you is the caution for the struggler. I use the word struggler because when you read, when you read this, you get the feeling that those who have rejected God, who've missed the rapture, 
who have remained on earth, you get the feeling that they're doing like we do. They are struggling to make good from the bad. Sadly, they're copying too many of us too often. And they're trying to make good out of the bad. And they're leaving the Heavenly Father, our God, out of the equation. One of the things that that plagues us in the 21st century is that we basically have bought into that we are basically good people. And the Bible says that we're basically sinners. The Bible says that, that we will reject God left to our own. In this context where so much is falling apart, God once again seems to pause the judgment and offer a warning. We find it in verse 13. John says, I looked and I heard an eagle flying overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. My text calls it an eagle. I looked and I heard an eagle. You know, I look over many translations of the, and, um, of the Bible. If you look, I looked at over 50, and it's about half and half. Half of them use the term eagle. Half of them use the term angel. And you get to look it into the linguistics of it, and you understand uh, the confusion because um, it's, it comes in the translation method. A lot of times when you're translating a word, you'll borrow from another language to translate it. One thing's sure about this creature that's flying, it is a special messenger sent from God to deliver a message to mankind. When I consider the context and the linguistics of it, my personal opinion, don't go tell everybody that Brother Jerry said this was the gospel, this is my personal opinion. I believe it's a vulture. Why would I say that? Have you been keeping up with what's going on on earth? Earth has now become a graveyard where the bodies have not been buried. And so what's lying on the ground are dead, decomposing corpses. The stench of the decomp is in the air. And it makes perfect sense that the car is sent there to deliver the warning. And the warning is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Each one of those woes warn us of a trumpet blast that's coming that's going to be worse. Now I'll pause to ask you a personal question. How many times, how many times has God tried to warn us? We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
Adam and Eve, don't eat of that tree, man. The world with one rule, just don't eat the tree. If you do, you'll die. How about in the days of Noah, just a, just a few chapters later? Noah preached 120 years. How about Lot and his wife and family? Wasn't really God's will for them to go to Sodom. And when they went there, the message would have been, just don't fall in love with the place. Isn't that the message for us today? Don't fall in love with this place because this, home, this world is not your home. If you're his, you're just passing through. And yet when Lot and his family left, his wife loved the, that culture so much she had to have one last look. Today, folks, we need to hear God's warning. We need to hear His caution. We need to heed it. Which brings us to the last truth that I'm going to offer you, the call to the sinner. The word come, call, does not appear in verse 13. But I find it in the spirit of the verse. Once again, God demonstrates his heart by warning the people on the earth at that time and by extension warning us. We need to hear this. We need to go back and remember chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus was writing to the church. And he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Call to the sinner. The sinner is the one who has rejected God's offer of forgiveness. The sinner are the ones who will miss the rapture. The sinners are the ones who will endure all this judgment. Conversely, those who today place their trust and faith in Jesus and follow Him, walk with Him every day, will miss this judgment and enjoy the rewards. Of heaven. The call today is for every one of us to recognize, to realize that we, you, 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 me, that we are on a collision course with the one who is on the throne. We are headed only one of two places. There is not a third place. You don't get to talk your way into heaven. Jesus says there's two roads, there's two ways, there's two gates, there's two paths. Only two. One is broad, one is narrow. One follows Jesus, the other follows the world, and they are diametrically opposed. And if there's someone in this room, and Brother Jerry, I really don't like that, well then you're obviously on the wrong road. I don't get to make the rules. I didn't write the scripture. I didn't, I didn't write the plan of salvation. So I don't get to change it. And neither do you. Are you on the right road or the wrong road today? <clears throat> Someone I'd call a... Um, 
a friendly acquaintance, a man named Dr. Jerry Vines. <clears throat> Dr. Jerry Vines was a, is a, is a well-known preacher and longtime co-pastor at First Baptist Jacksonville. He, Jacksonville. he and Homer Lindsay Jr. shared that, and they loved being together. They, they shared the responsibility. A lot of times their families would vacation together. And back before the days of the GPS, which can still get you in trouble, Dr. Vines got a map while they were off on vacation, and uh, they were headed home. And he picked up the map, and he goes, man, this is going to be a shortcut. Let's go home. And they got on the road, and you know it was a good road. It was paved, big two-lane. After taking the road, they saw a sign that said, don't take this road. Don't use this road. But they kept on going because the road was so good. They drove down a little further and there was a sign that said, Road ends in one mile. So you know what they had to do? They had to turn and go the, another direction. If you have never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior... No, how, no matter how good the road looks to you, no matter what advice your friends may offer, no matter how popular it is, no matter what your human mind tells you, you are on the wrong road, the end is near, and you must turn around. Two roads. One that will find themselves right in the middle of all this judgment they were reading about. Another one that sets you in heaven, in the small screen of that picture in picture, in the common collective of heaven. Either one of these will take your breath away. If you wind up in heaven, the wonder will be so awesome, so awesome that it will take your breath away. If you're in the wrong place, it will be so awful. It'll take your breath away. Over here, you'll, you'll enjoy eternal life. Over here, you'll, in, you'll suffer an eternal death. In a place called hell. Not a place that was prepared for you. A place that was prepared for the devil and all his angels. And the only way is to turn from the road that you're on and come to Jesus and miss this judgment. Let's pray together.